Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Last Sunday, as we were continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, we went through the first five verses of Acts 13. Are you ready for this? Today's message, I'm going to scare some of you right now, is supposed to cover 40 verses this morning. Don't leave, all right? We're gonna, I'm going to shoot. Normally, the way my message works is the first half, we're going through the passage, giving context, explaining what's happening, and kind of the second half of the message, once we finish that, there's usually a, a whole other half where we're applying it and all of that. Today's format is a little different in that once we get to the end of the passage, we're pretty much at the end of the message. And so uh, we're going to look today in Acts 13 at a few firsts. We're going to look at Paul's first recorded sermon. We're going to look at Paul and, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, the beginning of it at least. Uh, we're going to look at the first time Saul was called by his Roman name, Paul, in Scripture. And uh, again, we're going to pick it up in Acts 13. I, I mention this almost every Sunday. If you did not bring a copy of God's Word and you have a, a device with you, I'd encourage you, download a Bible app right now, and I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. I'd encourage you to follow along as we go through it, especially on a day like today when we're going to look at a lot of verses. I say this almost every Sunday. I know it can sound like a broken record. But if there's any power in my preaching, the power is found in the Word of God. The power is not in my, my experiences. The power is not in my, my, my opinions. The power is not in my traditions. The power is found in the Word of God. And so if that is true, then I often encourage us to follow along and see it for ourselves. If your brain works like mine, when I'm sitting in church, if I'm not following along, while the preacher's reading and going through the scripture, it's very easy for me to get distracted and to start thinking about other things. So I'd encourage you to do that. And today, I don't have a ton of jokes. I don't really have any crazy or entertaining or catchy illustrations. But I promise you, today, there are some powerful truths in this passage. If you'll listen intentionally today, I believe you'll be helped by God's word. Let's pick it up for sake of context and review where we were a couple of the verses last week let's pick it up in acts 13 beginning in verse number three acts 13 3 and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them they is the church at antioch them is paul and barnabas they the church sent them away these are the first missionaries being sent out i told you there were others that had left their comfort zone to go preach the gospel but really not voluntarily they had left because of persecution they had been scattered. This is really what I would call the first uh, recorded volunteer missionaries in the New Testament church. Verse 4, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So they have John, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas on this missionary journey together. And uh, I'm looking for one of, do we have one of those bulletins right there? I had one in my Bible. I don't know what I did with it. I was going to take a look in just a minute. So Ty, Ty, you have one right there you can bring up for me? And uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. 
And uh, we are going to look here in just a moment. If you have this bulletin on the back, there's a map that we printed right there. And as we're reading these cities, um, you will see they started at Antioch. It says they went to Seleucia, and then they took a ship over to the island of Cyprus. This shows you Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey and uh, gives you the points that we'll be studying this week and next, kind of the locations there. And what do we see in the verses that I just read from last week? What do we see? What we see is they began preaching the gospel in the synagogues of the Jews. What we see is an open door for the gospel. Paul and Barnabas being sent out by the church at Antioch. God has done great things in this Gentile church. He's reached Jews. He's reached Gentiles. A reminder, the gospel is not for one people group is not for one country, is not for one set of, of social socioeconomic group. It's not for one. The gospel is for everyone. And the church in Antioch shows us that. The gospel's going forth to the Gentiles. We see an open door for the gospel. But over the course of this chapter, what we're going to see today, we're going to see a pattern. And I think it's a good one for us to see in our lives in 2020. We're going to see a pattern, and we need to understand this as we look at this open door that we studied last week, I want you to see in Scripture what comes next. And for those that like to take notes or for Mel that uh, always posts all the points of the message and we don't have screens right now that show it to you, here's the title, Ramel. If you'd like to take notes, the title of the message this morning is this, With Every Open Door You Can Expect, dot, dot, dot. And we're going to see what you can expect with every open door that we find in our lives. We're going to see a pattern here in Scripture. With every open door, what can we expect? Verse number 6. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. When they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, on your map you can see they started in Salamis. Now they've made their way to the far western side of that island of Cyprus. And they're going to be leaving there in just a couple of verses to take a boat, a ship uh, over there into Pamphylia. But here they are. And what did they find with every open door? God, verses 1 through 5 are really exciting. The church is sending out a missionary. The Holy Ghost had called them. They had said yes. They were a spiritual group. They had fasted and prayed. They had laid their hands on them. They had sent them out. And what does the next verse show us in verse 6? And when they came to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, that is a magician, a false prophet. Here's the message. With every open door, you can expect opposition. Would you repeat that with me? With every open door, you can expect, you can expect opposition. One more time. With every open door, you can expect opposition. This is exciting. The church has sent forth a missionary. We, we took them and they were preaching here and they went over to Cyprus and they started preaching. And the very next verse, and there to meet them was a false prophet. That opposition often comes from without. And by the way, the American church, I've said this multiple times, is not facing persecution at this point. But in some corners of our country, I would say to you, there has been some religious opposition. I would say there has been some, in my opinion, government overreach in some ways of what, what has happened to the church. Now, to say that we're facing persecution would be an insult to our brothers and sisters uh, in the family of God around the world that are truly facing persecution. 
But there is opposition, and, and we see opposition. Verse number seven, notice, continue along in our passage. Verse seven. So the sorcerer, which was with the deputy of the country, a government official, Roman government official, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. What we find here is a government official that wants to know the truth. It's one reason he had Bar-Jesus with him. That name Bar-Jesus, interestingly, the false prophet, it means son of salvation. His name means son of salvation, but he was a false prophet teaching a false doctrine. And this, this government official wanted to know the truth. It's why he had Bar-Jesus with him. And so he calls Saul and Barnabas and he desired to hear the word. What do you, what, what do you see there? Opportunity, an open door. This man wants to know Jesus. Let's see what happens after opportunity and open doors with every open door. Verse number eight, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, opposition, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. That, that, that Sergius Paulus, he was trying to keep him from the true gospel. Verse nine, then Saul, who is called, who also is called Paul, first time we see him called Paul in scripture, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Verse 11, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. That is Bar-Jesus He's there. This man, Sergius Paulus, wants Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel to them. Opportunity, open door, Sergius Paulus, op, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Bar-Jesus, opposition. And, and Saul looks at him in the eyes. And he basically, if I, could, if I could paraphrase, he says, we're not playing this game. I'm preaching the truth. My God's powerful. My gospel's powerful, more powerful than your gospel. And he says to him, it's interesting, this man that was a false prophet that had led others into spiritual darkness, Paul tells him, you are going to have physical darkness. You're going to have blindness. And immediately he became blind, and this, this blindness came upon him. Verse number 12, I want you to see it, verse 12. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, what's that next word, church? When he saw what was done, what? He what? Isn't that beautiful? Being astonished at the doctrine of, of the lord by the way that's what will change lives is the doctrine of the lord and it's amazing and it's astonishing and it's powerful and the gospel still changes lives but what's the pattern here open door opposition obedience through opposition then victory another open door opposition obedience through the opposition and then victory he gets saved we see that right here he believes verse then what after he believes verse 13 now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. You can see it on your map. They took the boat and went over to Perga in Pamphylia. You can see where that is. And then do you see, not only when God gives an open door, sometimes is there opposition from without, but now what do we find in Scripture? There's opposition from within. Did you see it? And John departing from them. Just about eight verses ago, John was their co-laborer. About eight verses ago, John was on board. Let's go preach the gospel to the whole world. 
about eight verses ago, but with every open door, what can we expect, church? We can expect opposition. And sometimes it's from without. It's from bar Jesus. And sometimes it's from within. It's the discouragement of a, of a trusted co-laborer that decides they're not going to continue on with you for whatever reason. That, that disappointment that comes with that, a partner in ministry deserted them. Someone who committed to help them was no longer willing to help. And we don't know exactly why John Mark left, but we do know that whatever his reasons were, they weren't good enough for Paul. Because later on in a few chapters, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark back onto the team. And Paul says, I'm not working with that guy. I can't trust him. And Paul and Barnabas split ways over John Mark. We do know it wasn't just a family emergency that was an excused absence, if you will. He didn't have a doctor's note that Paul believed in. Whatever his reason for leaving was, Paul said, I can't work with him anymore. And some have suggested, what, what was the reason? Some have suggested that maybe John Mark was afraid to travel into the dangerous mountains of Pamphylia. That was an area that was known to have groups of robbers. In fact, where Paul says, I have been, I've been persecuted. I have been in, in, in perils of robbers. Some think it's he's talking about this part of the journey right here, in perils of robbers. Others think that maybe John Mark left because he resented Paul taking the leadership role over his cousin Barnabas and the ministry politics, if you will. Some think that maybe he disapproved of Paul's emphasis on preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Others say he feared persecution. We don't know. But can I say this? If it was one of those four reasons or a totally different reason, I can tell you this. If you serve God for any length of time, you're going to face opposition from those four areas at some point. Temporal fears. Somebody that leaves because they're scared of what it might mean to follow Jesus. Ministry politics. Ministry personalities. Uh, not, being, not, not liking the fact that somebody else got the limelight and you didn't. Maybe the emphasis on preaching to the Gentiles. Well, I don't think those people deserve the gospel or fearing spiritual persecution. But what did Paul and Barnabas do when there was opposition from without? They kept obeying. What did God give them as they obeyed? More opportunity, another open door. Would you look at verse 14? And I know today is a lot of verses, but I, we're going here and I'll wrap it all up when we finish through Paul's message. Verse 14, all of this goes together, so we're trying to cover it in one message. Verse 14 but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. That was their common thing. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. This is beautiful. Now, this was not uncommon. If you were to go into a synagogue for a visiting rabbi to come to town and for them to say, come teach us something, especially somebody like Saul of Tarsus. Saul had grown up under Gamaliel, a, a very reputable and respected rabbi. So Saul comes to town and the Jewish, the Jewish rabbis, the leaders of the synagogue are like, hey, we get the day off. Say on, if you got anything to tell them. So they opened the pulpit at the Jewish synagogue to a gospel preaching missionary, the apostle Paul. What do we see here? An open door. And now we're gonna jump into what Paul preached I want you to see, we're going to see his message, and then we're going to see what happens after that. Paul's message, I've, I've divided into four sections for you, number, starting in verse number 16. Would you follow along in verse 16? Notice this, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel, 
And ye that fear God, men of Israel, Jews, ye that fear God, Gentiles, give audience. Everybody, listen up. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought them out of it. He's telling them stories that they all knew. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years and until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And so God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. What is he doing? He's, t- he's going through their religious history. And then he brings it all together here in the next verse. I want you to read verse 23 aloud with me, if you will. Verse 23, ready, begin. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior. Who is it? And here's to me, if I'm outlining Paul's message, here's his first point. History is his story. You all know the Old Testament scriptures. You know about Egypt, and you know how God brought us out by the ten plagues, and, and you know how we, we crossed the, 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 the Red Sea, and, and you know how your fathers didn't believe God, and so we wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you know about the judges, and you know about Samuel, you know about the prophets, you know about David, but all of that that you know is pointing to someone that you don't know. It's pointing to our Savior through all of that. You know your history. You've got a head knowledge of the Bible, but you have no relationship with what all of that history points to, and that is the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the way, everything in Scripture points to a Savior. He's telling them that the Scriptures and the history that you men read every week was pointing to a Savior. And let me tell you this, guys. You don't know it, but He has come. The Messiah is here. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says, the next part of his his message, verse 24. When John, speaking of John the Baptist, had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance. John the Baptist's message was to repent. He preached the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Verse 25. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, Jews, Gentiles, to you is the word of this salvation sent. This is for you, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read. Listen to this. This is amazing which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. What did he say? You know what the scriptures say, but you don't know who they're talking about. He said they read it every Sabbath day. They read these scriptures. And yet, they've missed the Savior. Church family, Coming to church is not enough to get any of us to heaven. 
I'm glad that you're here, but if you're trusting in your church membership or in your good works or your mom was a pastor or your grandpa was a, a preacher or your, your, your mom was a pastor, that'd be a different church than ours, but uh, your mom was a Christian, your whatever whatever it is, and, and, and you've been in the choir for decades and you were baptized as an infant, whatever it might be, these were very religious people that knew their Bibles. But did you see it there? He said, he said, John said, it's not me. There's somebody else. He said, all of you, that the rulers of the, of the synagogues, they knew him not, even though they read the voices of the prophets, the scripture, every Sabbath. What is Paul telling them? History is his story. What is Paul telling them? He's telling them you need a relationship with a risen Savior, not a religious routine. You need a relationship with a risen Savior, not a religious routine. It's easy to trust in our works, isn't it? I'm doing my best. I hope my good outweighs my bad. I'm trying to get there. No, none of that will get us there. It's for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We, we must in our lives, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It is a relationship with Jesus, not a religious routine. And then he continues on. Verse 29, he continues on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna be done by 11. Watch this. Here we go. Verse 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Oh, I like this. Would you read verse 30 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But God raised him from the dead. By the way, our whole faith revolves around that truth. If Christ be not risen, we're yet in our sins and our faith is vain. Verse 31. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings. It's good news that Jesus rose again. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers. I got good news to tell you in this synagogue. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children. The promise he gave to daddy and grandpa. He's fulfilled it in our lives in that he hath raised up Jesus again as it is also written in the second psalm. By the way, when Jesus preached, it was full of scripture. He was the living word, but he still preached the scripture. If Jesus preached, well, I guess Paul's preaching here, but he's talking about Jesus going back there and Jesus saying these things as, as it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son. I got excited about something that was in my notes and I realized it wasn't biblical. So we'll get back here to verse 33. It was Paul saying this, but Paul, if Paul needed to preach the Bible, how much more do we? Jesus also did expound the scriptures when he preached. All right. Also written in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Verse 34. And concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another Psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, sir, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. That means his body got eaten up. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. His body did not decay because he was only in the grave for three days. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that though this man is preached through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. What does Paul tell these Jewish and Gentile audience? Number one, history is his story. The Old Testament is pointing to a savior. Number two, you need a relationship, not a religious routine. Number three, what does he tell them? that Jesus fulfilled every promise. You see, the Jews, they knew the prophecies. They knew the words of the prophets. 
They read them every Sunday in church, and it's a good reminder, we can come to church every Sunday and still be lost and still be deceived. They knew all of those promises, but they were still waiting for a Messiah. And what does Paul say? You're not, you've got nothing left to wait for. He fulfilled every promise. The Messiah is here. The last part of his message, the last three verses of his message, verse 39. And by him, here, would you read verse 39 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Aren't you thankful for that? By him, a, a relationship with the Savior. Are you justified in all things that you couldn't be justified in a religious routine, the law of Moses? The law, keeping good works, looking right, dressing right, talking right, was never meant to justify us, to get us, earn our way into heaven. No, none of that. The law was meant to show us our need for a Savior. The law was never intended to be our Savior. And he says, by, through him, we have, we have forgiveness. Verse 40, beware therefore, look at this, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Basically, he says, number four, salvation is available for you. Paul's message. History is his story. The Old Testament is all pointing to Christ. Number two, you need a relationship, not a religious routine. Number three, Jesus fulfilled every promise. What are you waiting for to accept him as your savior? How much longer are you going to wait? Jesus has come. He was, he was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. His body didn't see corruption. What else are you waiting for to commit your life to Christ? That's what Paul's preaching. You re, you're religious. You go to church. You read the scriptures. What are you waiting for? He's right there. He's extended the gift to you. Your, your forgiveness of sins is available in Christ. Number four, his fourth point, salvation is available for you. So what do we see? Here's the pattern, and I'll wrap it up in the last four or five verses. Here's the pattern. Open door. They launch out. What do they find? Opposition from without. What do they do? They obey through the opposition. Sergius Paulus gets saved. Victory. And an open door to preach to him. Then what do they have after that open door? Opposition from within. What do they do? They obey through the opposition. And what, is, what happens? They come, to, they come on their boat to, to Pamphylia there. And what happens? The, the rabbi says, Paul, do you have anything to say? I, I, I kind of like to think he looks at Barnabas like, yeah, I got a few things to say. All right. Hey, Gentiles, Jews, I don't care who's here. Listen up. Preaches his message. Obedience through it. I want you to see what happens in, in chapter 13. Look at verse number 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They were hungry. Can, can, we, can you preach? Can you stick around for a week? We want to hear some more. Next, next Saturday, can you tell us? Verse 43. Now when the congregation was broken up, notice this, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. God worked through that message. Jews, Gentiles, religious people. Now, I got some questions. What about this? And what about that? And what about this? And continuing the grace of God. They, I, I think it's summarizing in there. Paul and Barnabas kept preaching Jesus and teaching them how to, how to trust Christ and then how to live for him after salvation. I believe here we see many following Christ. We see many getting saved, Jews and Gentiles. We see all these things. 
What happens? God gives more victories. There's another open door there. Look at this in verse 44. Another open door as they obey through opposition. Verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the, what's the next two words, church? Came almost the what? The what? That'd be a pretty good Sunday. The next time they met came almost the whole city. Open door together to hear the word of God. Uh-oh, what's the first word of verse 45, church? What's the first word? Exception, contrast. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas were not good for business at the synagogue. Offerings went down when Paul and Barnabas came to town. Attendance numbers dropped when Paul and Barnabas came through. The same guys that asked them to preach are now full of envy. Why are so many people listening to them? What did they have that we don't have? By the way, what they had was the power of God. What they had was the word of God. What they had was the spirit of God. There is envy. What do you see? Another open door. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city. But after that next open door, with every open door, you can expect, you can expect what? Opposition. Now the same ones that asked them to preach are telling them to sit down and be quiet. God gives open doors in our lives, but with every open door, you can be ready for some opposition. And what should we do? By the way, when you experience opposition, that does not automatically mean you are not in God's will. It does not automatically mean you are not where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. Jesus faced opposition. Paul and Barnabas faced opposition. Opposition from without opposition from within but what did they do in their opposition they obeyed they kept preaching jesus wherever that led them they kept preaching jesus one missionary said a certain amount of opposition is good for mankind kites rise against the wind not with the wind what is the answer now here it is verse 46 and we won't this is we're going to read the first half of it we'll study the last few verses next time we're in acts um not next sunday morning we have a guest speaker but the following Verse 46, the first, oh, what is that? Six words. Would you read those first six words aloud with me in verse 46? Ready, begin. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. Then Paul and Barnabas what? What did they do? Opposition's not derailing us. We're not getting off track from our calling. We're going to keep preaching Christ. The the local government's not excited about it. We're not going to be jerks. We're going to seek to be good citizens. We're going to keep preaching Christ. The state government's not excited about it. We're going to seek to preach Christ. The federal government's not excited about it. We're going to preach Christ. The the people within the church are not excited about it. We're going to preach Christ. People without the church aren't excited about it. We're going to preach Christ. With every open door, expect some opposition. And the answer, when you face that opposition, the answer is not to run. The answer is bold faith and daring obedience. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, perseverance, trust, courage. When we obey, we will see victories in God's power. But then guess what? God will open doors and we'll have to have the faith to walk through that open door. But when we do, we'll undoubtedly meet with somewhat opposition. I had one pastor friend of mine Tell me, he said, Ryan, as God uses your church to reach more and to support more missionaries and to do more in your local area, as God takes you to new levels, you can expect new devils. He said, with every new level, there's usually a new devil. What was he saying? With every open door, there is new opposition. It's a spiritual warfare. They got saved. 
they started living for God. Then op this opposition came. This hardship came. What did Paul say in some of his other, oh, Luke said in Acts, the words of Paul, quoting Paul, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with, with joy. One of us knows it. With joy. Paul said, when the opposition comes, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. When there's opposition without, none of these things move me. I'm going to keep preaching the, the gospel of the grace of God. When there's opposition from within, none of these things move me. Every one of us as Christians, we need to get a hold of that and say, but none of these things move me. I don't know what you're facing. It might be a financial trial, a physical trial, a marital trial, a trial at work, a relationship trial. It might be fear and anxiety. I don't know what it is, but Satan would love to get us off track, would love to get us distracted, would love to get us discouraged, would love to get us separated from the love of God. But the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. None of these things move me. I'm going to keep on going. What did Paul write to the first letter to the church at Corinth? What did he say? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, five minutes, I think I only need three more. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should look to see what it's there for. What did he say? God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of the victory we have in Christ, because of who's still on the throne, because of the power that God has given to Jesus, therefore, because of that victory, what does it say in 1 Corinthians? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know, as much as, as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because of the victory, when I have opposition, I'm going to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because my labor is not in vain. With every opportunity, you and I can expect obstacles and opposition. How are you going to respond when the opposition of life comes? Are you going to keep going for Christ? Or are you going to run? I've seen both. Are you going to keep praying in faith? Or are you going to despair all hope is lost? Are you going to keep preaching Jesus? Or like Peter, are you going to go a fishing? Are you going to keep giving generously? Or are you going to grow in, inwardly focused? Ah, I'm not making a difference anyways. Nobody appreciates my generosity. Are you going to keep trusting? Or are you going to start doubting? Are you going to keep loving and investing in people? Or are you going to give up on people? I loved and they hurt me. I invested and they took me, took, took me for granted and took advantage of me. But none of these things moved me. Are you going to keep studying or are you going to check out spiritually? Are you going to keep witnessing or are you going to keep Christ to yourself? Are you going to keep obeying or are you going to quit? Apostle Paul, we get excited. They sent out the first missionaries. That's pretty cool, right? Pretty exciting. What was waiting for him in the next verse? A false prophet, opposition. But Sergius Paulus wanted to hear the, the gospel, so they preached it, and God gave victory. Pretty exciting, right? What was waiting for him in the next verse? John Mark deserted him. Keep going. Hey, the, the religious leaders gave us a chance to preach. That's pretty exciting, right? The whole city came out to hear us. That's pretty exciting, right? And then Paul and Barnabas, often Paul would get run out of town. That's not real exciting. And what we see is every time 
opportunity came, opposition came. And what was their response? Obedience. David Livingston, many of you have heard that name, pioneer missionary to Africa. He was also an explorer. He became famous worldwide. He's the one, if you've ever been to Africa, Victoria Falls. He named the Victoria Falls after Queen Victoria of England. He was known as Africa's greatest missionary. He is said to have walked over 29,000 miles in his ministry. His wife died early in his ministry. He faced stiff opposition from his fellow Scottish Christian brothers. He ministered much of his life half blind. He died in Africa of malaria. Following his death, the villagers removed his heart and buried it under a tree in Africa to symbolize the love they knew that he had for the African people. Then his body and his journal were carried by some of his converts some, on a 63-day journey, some 1,000 miles, to be put on a, a ship that was then taken to England. He was interred at Westminster Abbey. We look and say, wow, what a great life, but we forget about the 29,000 miles he walked. We forget about his wife dying. We forget about his, his near blindness. We forget about the malaria. He was well not known, but he died to little fa fanfare in an African village. He was greatly remembered in death, but he was meagerly supported by many in life. He was mightily used by God, yet his life was filled with opposition, with obstacles, with heartaches and struggles. And as we run our race in 2020, may we remember the words in David Livingston's diary when he said, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. Christian, you're facing opposition and it's got you a little discouraged. You're wondering if God's forgotten about you. You're wondering if you're in the right place doing the right thing. Now, if you're not, let the Holy Spirit guide you into that. But if you are, opposition is not an automatic indicator. You're not where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do. With every opportunity, expect opposition. And when we face the opposition, our response should be obedience. Bold faith. But none of these things move me. That I might finish my course with joy. Don't let COVID move you. Don't let the November elections move you. Don't let Governor Newsom move you. Don't let a job loss move you. Don't let a phone call from the doctor move you. Don't let somebody lying about you on social media move you. Don't let a friend betray you, of many years betraying you, move you. But none of these things move me. Because of the victory, therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.